0: Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different topic each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And we got a really fun episode on our hands. This week we are joined by one of my favorite people to talk movies with, the Philadelphia-based photographer, author, and Thai poster magnate, Phil Jablon.
1: Hey Charles. Hey Sam. How you doing? Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Phil may be better known by his online moniker, Thai Poster Bliss, where he has been uploading high-res scans from his massive collection of beautiful and rare Thai movie posters for years. I've personally bought an ungodly amount of Thai one-sheets from you, Phil. And I I think the first couple I picked up were were Godzilla movies and then a a Dirty Dancing poster. And I remember when I, I met you to pick up the Dirty Dancing poster. I, uh, I went up to your house, uh, I got the poster, and you said, oh, is this for Sam? And I just uh, shrugged and said, not really.
2: Not that I don't love Dirty Dancing too. No,
0: it's a it's it's a prized jewel in our collection for sure.
1: Was it for you or was it for
2: Sam? Oh, it was, it was for him. Definitely really. for
0: me. Go- oh, absolutely. The
2: Godzilla posters were sort of mutual. You got them for my birthday. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they were
0: Dirty Dancing I I got for me. I think I, I actually might have even uh, implied they were for Sam, but uh I think you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's out there now. They were for me.
1: That's all good. I I appreciate your appreciation of that film.
0: Yeah. No, I it's I Great. Can love it, it. Is. anyway well we have so much to get to and i know i have like a million questions for you and i know we're not gonna have time to get to all of them uh, and i know whenever we get to talking we find so many different genre rabbit holes to go down because i think between the three of us we've probably seen more psycho east asian movies than like anyone else and whenever you find someone who has seen those kinds of movies too it's just impossible not to like just fall down every rabbit hole and like get so distracted and Yeah, here I am doing it already. Uh, So first, before we get into our more film-centric side of the discussion, I wanted to ask you if you could possibly talk about how you first got into collecting Thai posters and what first brought you to visit Thailand.
1: Well, I had been a sort of uh, hobbyist poster collector when I was a kid. Never thought I would become a full-on poster collector, but it was just something I enjoyed. I used to buy posters when my dad would do uh, book shows. When I was a kid my dad had a uh, rare book business and he would go to these conventions all up and down the east coast and sell rare books and oftentimes there were uh, poster dealers there and you know all kinds of dealers in uh in collectibles and so that's how I first started gaining an appreciation for the posters but as I got older into my teens and 20s that faded away and you know other things supplanted it in in terms of uh importance in my life and it didn't start again until I was in Thailand in grad school like maybe 15 years later and it started kind of accidentally.
2: Wait what did you go to grad school for?
1: Uh, I went to grad school in Thailand to get a degree in sustainable development
2: what does that even mean?
0: Yeah, I was about to ask that. that <laughs> I mean, like,
2: I kind of know like what recycling? it means, but...
1: Yeah, it's like recycling. Thanks. You can say that. Yeah, oh, but... <laughs> I
2: assumed it would be some kind of like city planning type thing.
1: I mean, that's, that was the bigger idea, to get into something that had to do with national development schemes and helping to create them so that the nations which implement them are doing so in a sustainable manner. Vis-a-vis not chopping down their forests or damming their rivers or overfishing their rivers and oceans and so on and so forth. And I wanted to work my way into that industry. That was my
0: plan back then. But instead, you fell into Thai movie posters. That's very right. (laughs)
2: That's very true. Became a rare poster tycoon. A rare poster.
0: (laughs) I like it. I mean, how did you first discover Thai movie posters to begin with when you were over there? I mean, I I imagine going to school for something so unrelated. I mean, I I kind of assume that you had gone for, like, film school or art school or or something like that. How did you discover Thai posters?
1: So when I went to school to get my degree in sustainable development, I started doing various research um, for my thesis and quickly discovered that everything I was doing, I was finding redundant, or just not my speed, the deeper I got, the less interested I became, so on and so forth.
2: The problems of academia, for sure. Exactly.
1: It's pretty common. And as a way to kind of numb the pain, which I was (laughs) feeling about the fact that, you know, I thought I wasn't going to graduate. I thought, I'm just going to drop out. I can't write a thesis. I can't find a topic that I like. So as a way to numb the pain, I started traveling around Thailand and the rest of the region photographing old movie theaters. Um, It started off unexpectedly one day where I was driving around Chiang Mai, which is the city I was living in, on my motorcycle, and I came across this old standalone movie theater in a neighborhood which I, up to this point, did not know. So I just took a picture on my little point-and-shoot camera, didn't think much of it, just like, ah, something cool I saw in town. But I did make note in my mind that I was going to go back and see a movie there and see what it was like to watch a movie in this old, crummy movie theater that I had never knew about. And I waited about six months. And when I went back, it was demolished. Oh,
0: no. fuck. Gone. God damn it. That My sucks. heart was broken. I was
1: pissed. I was angry. Oh I was angry God. at the world. Not only was I unable to write my thesis, but now I couldn't even <laughs> escape to a crummy old oh, movie no. theater in Chiang Mai. I was, I was bitter at life.
2: This sounds very... Uh... This is sort of an obscure reference, but Goethe's Young Werther novel, which like set the stage for every angsty young man like i have this problem with the world that's so funny
0: because the <laughs> reference i was thinking in my head was of like a fucking chris mitchum movie where they just constantly blow up like sacred sites because they're frustrated and had yeah. a bad day yes <laughs> so did you then like after you saw the theater was demolished did that like give you this drive to then photograph every theater in the country like yeah. is that's what it was yeah okay. it was pretty
1: much that i I thought to myself, oh, if this is gone and if this is if this is the state of movie theaters in Chiang Mai, then I'll I'll bet you it's going on in other parts of the country, too. And you know what? I like old movie theaters and I want to document them. And I bet you no one else is doing it.
2: Voila, a thesis.
1: Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't my thesis at first. It was just a project. Just just kind of like to kill the pain of not being able to write my thesis. I was having fun documenting movie theaters, blogging about it. The blog started to gain traction, and, and like especially on other blogs, Thai-related blogs, Thai cinema-related blogs.
2: Was your blog in English or Thai? It was in
1: English. I, I could write Thai, but it would be bad and it would take me a long time.
0: So I, I assume that's how you then came across Thai movie posters.
1: Some of them were—I would definitely see them up, pinned on the walls in some theaters— um, sometimes I would come across little piles in projection rooms or storage rooms in like some area of the theater.
2: And just these are abandoned theaters? Mostly abandoned
1: or repurposed. I remember one one I went to in a small town in Praia Province, which is in northern Thailand. The theater had been turned into a snooker hall.
2: A snooker hall? It's like snooker billiards. Like,
1: yeah, it's like pool
2: that's better than i i feel like around this general part of the country i constantly see what must have been interesting old theaters turned into churches yeah. which hurts my soul my moment. my
0: all-time <laughs> favorite uh like you can see it they've got a fucking marquee it's this beautiful building and it's a cvs it's oh, so yes.
1: in town here
0: yeah yeah it's in philly
1: at um Excuse me, at 19th and Chestnut, right? I think so. It's that was the Aldine. When I was growing up, that was, uh, I believe it was Sam's Place. And I saw, among other things, three men and a little three men and a little baby, right?
0: Three men and a baby.
1: Three men and a baby. I saw Naked Gun there. Uh, I saw a lot of movies there. Those are the ones that come to
0: mind. Yeah. Right? Well. Well. Now you can get like back scrub there you can uh (laughs) you can re-up on your loofahs we saw one
2: of those recently in miami beach yeah where there was a movie theater turned into a a right or something
0: i think like a fucking global plague is that these old movie theaters are just going away Like, like philly there's nowhere to go to see a fucking movie anymore i mean there's a few places left but like it just sucks when you go to a place where you can tell there was this ornate theater
2: they always have like the most beautiful molding on the outside and yeah they were cathedrals for the people cathedrals for cinema
0: you know well while we're on the topic of movie theaters this was something that i wanted to bring up later in the conversation but fuck it we're here there's this thing i was reading about um when when movies kind of first came to thailand and then when they had their like golden age in like the 20s and 30s and uh, i mean for a while they were always doing this was they would have someone off-screen narrating the film.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or doing voiceover dubbing.
0: Yeah. This practice is so fascinating to me. I mean, and there are times when I'm watching movies that have no subtitles and no dubs, and it's the only way I can watch it. And I was like, dude, I would fucking love to have some guy... Just like doing all the bits. You just need to call Phil. Yeah, you're you're the guy.
2: <laughs> but I also think that this might be a broader East Asian thing. Yeah, that makes sense. There's definitely a Japanese practice of it. And it goes back to theater. theater but a practice of having a really skilled narrator who does so much of the yeah. work in in terms of the performance. And I think it's a similar type of thing in Thai theaters or was one Mm -hmm. of the
0: things I was reading was that some movies would be like, you know, flops like all over Asia and they would go to Thailand. But the guy narrating them was like, the fucking guy, you know. So everyone flocked to the theaters to see, you know, some random flick. In my head, I just love in, that.
2: In my head, it's like Vincent Price, who's <laughs> I mean, just yeah. like going all, all over the top, making up new story elements <laughs> when the film is boring.
1: Exactly. Let's uh, say a movie was being shown in a theater in southern Thailand. The dubber for that that theater might change his accent to have to give a southern Thai inflection he might give certain characters other people different accents based on
2: amazing let's, yeah. say, let's
1: say it was a villain oh maybe the villain would be some you know from Bangkok yeah coming down to oh yeah yeah a yeah fucking accent. city slicker exactly <laughs> so it would have that kind of thing they would they would augment the story sometimes to fit with local context yeah it was really an art, and they were, like you said, they were sometimes the 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 saviors of films, which otherwise might be,
2: and probably flops. the real draw in some way. Absolutely, I mean, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so you you're in Thailand, you're taking pictures of movie theaters, you come across these posters. Did you immediately like gravitate towards them and say like, "Holy shit, this is like beautiful stuff!" Like, I gotta. I got to grab these. I got to get these. These are amazing.
1: The thought crossed my mind. But honestly, in the beginning, I had this very strange, almost superstition. Like, uh, I don't want to disturb anything. I'm just here to document, to observe, and to, you know, capture what I see on film and leave. I don't want to take anything. It's not mine. And I I guess I, I don't know, maybe from being in the region Maybe I would picked up some superstitions of people, and everyone was saying, these places are haunted, you know, don't go in there. Yeah, it's haunted. It's Thailand and most of Southeast Asia, especially when you get into the more rural areas, is still very, very superstitious. And, you know, that was a common theme uh, when I would talk to people in, in different areas. Like, yeah, oh, it's haunted. So
2: I took that, maybe I
1: embodied that and took that to
2: heart. It sounds like the prime directive in Star Trek where you observe but do not interfere there you go but also possibly foolish in retrospect as it so often is in star trek
0: (laughs) and then i guess after you started collecting them did okay so this is what i assume because this is like how i am you know you start collecting something and then eventually you have fucking too much of it and you're like oh shit what did i do do you want this? I'll give it to you for 10 bucks. you know? Was that kind of how you got into, like, dealing these posters and, like, selling them? Was that, like, your collection just kind of became unwieldy and you had to shed them? And then as soon as you got money from, like, selling them, you just bought more because you loved them so much? (laughs) This is...
1: Yeah, essentially. Well, I remember the day I broke the... I broke the the spell that was on me, the the do-not-disturb spell. Um, I was in a theater and... I went into this filthy, dust-coated ticket booth and started rummaging through the drawers. And I opened one drawer and there I pulled out this folded up poster. I unfolded it and it was for a Hong Kong, probably a Cat 3 movie. I've never been able to identify and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. I'm keeping this.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that was it. And from that moment on, I remember I came out of the theater and I was with a friend and he took a picture of me. I got this big, stupid grin on my face. <laughs> and from that <laughs> moment on, I was like, I'm I'm after these. I want these. These are amazing.
0: Yeah, the art on these posters is so fucking cool. And it's so unique. And it's amazing when they're there posters of like an American film, a big budget Hollywood movie that went to Thailand or or something like that. And the poster is just leaps and bounds so much fucking cooler than the American one.
2: And sometimes so much cooler than the movie. This is true
0: too. But like, Usually. Po- like posters for like like Total Recall and like the Warriors and these like huge fucking movies.
2: But it's interesting because and I don't know how both of you feel about this, but I know that a lot of people in the last couple of years really into poster collecting and really into cult movies have also gotten into Ghanaian posters mm. and the Ghanaian posters kind of do the thing we were talking about earlier where it's like they get the cliff's notes of the movie and then they tell a better wilder story than the movie actually is. Yeah. But I don't feel that way about Thai posters. Like, Often they're not making up a new story and they're not adding elements that aren't there. No, but they're there's just like just like going. They're stuffing
0: yeah. the whole one sheet with action. Fucking a helicopter is exploding. A snake is biting a lady's tit, and there's like a baby crying, and it's all on the poster. A ghost baby. It's just it's so <laughs> so cool. How would you describe Thai poster art, and who are like the big artists?
1: Tong Di is probably universally yeah. regarded as he's, the top. He's the go. He's the big dog. Di Panumat. He was a understudy of uh, a man by the name of, who, who takes the pen name of Biak Poster, who was kind of the uh, the progenitor, or like some people say the father of the Thai poster art that we have come to know and love. And Di was one of his many understudies. And Di eventually... Um, branched off, started his own studio, and produced some of the most beloved movie posters, period. Probably his most famous one is Apocalypse Now, which I have, I can show you guys later. The Thai Apocalypse Now poster painted by Tongdi is generally considered one of the best posters ever painted for any film. Definitely the best poster for Apocalypse Now. It's, it's one of these holy grails. But can I, if I can step back a little bit to what you were saying about the look of the Thai posters, and you're right, they they're not they're not as deceptive yeah, as like the Ghanaian But they ones. don't lie. Sometimes they do lie. Sometimes they sometimes they pluck from.
0: But like from the, the Ghanaian posters will have like Mrs. Doubtfire stabbing a child absolutely. with like a fucking broom, Which, right. you know? Right. We all I mean, wish that's That
2: happened, but uh, but I feel like so do it, and in fairness. Posters and promotional art around the world—you often get stills and sequences that, like, aren't actually in the film. Like, it, it happens fairly often. Sure. So, I, I guess that's sort of my frame of reference for okay, they're sort of stretching the narrative. But it doesn't seem like they add totally false elements nearly as often.
1: No. No, generally you're right. They were working with promotional material that they would get in yeah. advance of the film. And they're basically taking elements from this, taking elements from a lobby card, taping, taking elements from the Italian poster, taking elements from the American poster, blending them together, adding some flourishes, adding some designs. Occasionally, though, they would just pluck something from out of the blue. Yeah, Which For instance, is great. I can think of... A poster I, I got recently, I guess you would call it a, a sex comedy called Young Doctors in Love, <laughs> starring Harry Dean Stanton. Oh,
2: hell yeah. And Whoa. some
1: others. They've got this typical Thai collage poster with all kinds of scenes from the movie and all the characters. And then up in the top corner, there's Mr. T. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just smiling down.
1: I watched the movie, I'm like, oh, Mr. T's in this. Interesting. <laughs> He wasn't in it. There's no Mr. T at oh, all. He, he's a little... selling
0: tickets though. He either. is. He's, he's getting butts and seats. He was. You know, there comes a time when you got to make up your own mind. You got to do what's right and what's right for you. It sounds easy, don't it? But it ain't. Making your own decision is part of growing up. It's tough because you learn there's more than one way to go. So think hard. Make the best choice you can. If you respect your decision, so will everyone else, especially me, Mr. T. I think the idea, and this is a, a criticism that I do hear levied at, at Thai poster art sometimes, and to me it's its biggest fucking asset, is that they're just so busy. Like mm. every single one from like corner to corner is stuffed, you know? There's no wasted space on a Thai movie poster at all. Like, they leave very little to the imagination, which is why I love them. Like, when you want to hang a poster up, like, you know, you don't want to just have three floating heads. I mean, like, yes, it's nice looking at, you know, these three actors who you really like. But the Thai movie posters are just, like, works of art that are just wild.
2: I don't think they're overstuffed, though. Like, this is my complaint, actually, with the Ghanaian posters is... When you're looking at a movie poster, you need one primary point of visual focus, and then a second point, and sometimes a third point, and they're just like, there's no primary focus. It's very overwhelming. But probably my favorite thing about your Instagram account is the way that you often compare posters from different countries yeah. And it so often seems like the Thai posters have the most like well thought out sense of framing of where the like set pieces go in the poster. Mm. Like they're so beautiful. Yeah. They're not just chaos.
1: The vast majority of those who became career poster artists in Thailand, they were, they were trained artists. Um, they went to art school and then they often worked as apprentices and understudies of bigger artists, which I think is it's not the case in in Ghana. I think the Ghanaian artists yeah. are very much you know self taught, uh, not, which, not which has
2: its own charm. It yes, absolutely, does.
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I,
1: yeah. I love Ghanaian uh, posters in their own right. But another thing about them is Ghanaians are they're one offs. They weren't like mass printed.
0: The of like they were they're, they they're were, for were, collectors. Yeah, they like or, painted like sheets,
1: right, or burlap sacks. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. And they would just use that. So they're if you have an original then you've got...
0: The only fucking the one. The only one,
1: you <laughs> Yeah. Know? I mean, there might have been several prints of X movie going around the country. You know, presumably it was one guy painting a poster and then that poster, which was painted on a cloth of some sort, would then follow the real Around the country, wherever it went, wherever it was screened, and that was all you had. You yeah. weren't mass printing them and distributing them to.
0: I mean, to that, theaters. That makes sense because a lot of them, a lot of these posters seem like they fucking been through it. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't just folded up, put in a theater, and then refolded, and they went around the country. They yeah. toured around, yeah, and yeah. and you can you can see it in them, and it gives them a lot of character for sure.
1: That's the same with the tie po- some some Thai posters as well.
0: I remember, because I, I also got into collecting posters when I was younger. I would get like, you know, like horror movie posters, like American one sheets. And one of the first ones I got was Barn of the Naked Dead. And... <laughs>
2: R.I.P. to Andrew Prine, by the way. Hasn't he been dead for a while? No, he died within the last like three oh, or four months.
0: Much respect. Much.
2: You know I love to say R.I.P. to people, you do, but you do. He, he died recently. Sometimes
0: they <laughs> say R.I.P. to people who have been dead for like a fucking century. It's because
2: I'm so <laughs> sad about it. R.I.P. to the library at Alexandria.
0: <laughs> but this poster, I think this is also why I'm drawn to Thai posters as well, is because when you look at it, it looks like a Thai movie poster. It's got so much going on. I didn't see the movie until a couple of years ago, too. And I just, like, I just had it hung up because I loved it. It was so cool. It's so
2: good. It's, it's in our office right now.
0: It is. Our office. <laughs> I had it hung up for years. And, and one day, my friend came over, and he pointed at it. And he's like, whoa, check this out. Look at that snake wrapped around that lady. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I've had this poster for years. I've never seen a snake. And he pointed at it, and I'm like, there's this like naked lady laying on the ground, and there's a snake like wrapped around half her body. And I'm like, this is crazy.
2: It is an extremely busy poster, but in like a painted way. Yeah. Not in like a cut and paste in elements from the film way.
0: I guess I'm curious, have you, have you spoken with any of these artists or, or, or met any people that were involved in, in creating these posters, like in your, in your travels to Thailand?
1: I've become friends with a couple of them. One, I've, I got to know fairly well, Mr. Kam. Kam is uh, well known for painting Hong Kong movies. Or I shouldn't just say Hong Kong, but anything of the Chinese-speaking world. He was the the go-to artist at one of the theaters which was importing Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema. And so he painted a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s. Did movie theaters commission these?
2: Yeah, where did these come from? Generally, distributors commissioned them. That's what I originally Some distributors
1: had flagship theaters.
0: Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For
1: instance, Mr. Kam, who I was just mentioning, he worked for the Krung Kasem Theater. The Kronkasem Theater was on the Khrunkasem Canal in Bangkok, hence the name. Kroonkasem was also
0: a distributor, so he was like their fucking guy. Okay, so
2: it was their guy for a while, yeah. It it reminds me a little bit, and I feel like we and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like we don't have this in the US nearly as much, but like Shaw Brothers opened a whole series of theaters. So it's like they were a production company and a distributor. Right. And would also commission that kind of like distribution art to go with it and like marketing materials. I,
0: I think in the early days of Hollywood, that was sort of a thing, and that got broken up real quick, where there was like a separation between church and state. The, the and the church was the movie thing? theater. Yeah, 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 yeah was, precisely.
1: Uh, Hollywood versus Hollywood versus Paramount Pictures. Yep, yep 19. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was 19, a federal lawsuit filed by a Philadelphia based theater chain. The uh, wow. the William Goldman Theater chain because they weren't able to get any of the big movies. Yeah. That was the the big antitrust case here.
2: Such a strange struggle over the last hundred years between yeah. like production companies. And there's and, always, and always something cropping
0: to up. <laughs> to, to the, yeah,
2: totally.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. This is a, something I've been kind of wanting to ask you for a while. I know you have this massive collection And you're always doing flash sales on your Insta account. But are there any posters that you have that, like, you would never sell?
1: Oh, yeah. A lot of them. (laughs) Probably probably (laughs) most of them. I mean, I'll sell them someday when I'm, like, old and, you know, know, if I don't have someone who wants to, like, a... An inheritor to take them from an... An inheritor. An heir.
0: An heir. <laughs> I'm
1: probably am not going to have children. I've got a nephew. If he uh, takes an interest in him someday and he wants him, I'll will him to him. But if he doesn't...
2: You could oh. adopt Charles. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hate my dad. He sucks. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Dad. If you're listening, Yeah, you're, his you're dad is he's great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he's, pretty cool. Yeah, he took, he took everyone to the World Series game. Anyway, um, <laughs> what, uh, what are your, like...
1: My holy grails that I'll never get rid of? Well, it's funny. Yeah. Like, I've got ones that are really, really coveted by collectors all over the world. Um, increasingly Thai collectors. The, the the domestic market for Thai posters is growing stronger every year.
2: That's awesome.
1: Which is great. But, yeah, so I've got ones that are internationally coveted.
2: Yo, what are they, you, yeah, what are they, so you- So you have, like, different categories of, like, posters that you wouldn't sell because they're like you said, internationally coveted, but also maybe some you wouldn't sell because you just love them? Yeah. What are your like top
0: five big dogs?
1: Okay. So here's, I'll start with my number one and I'll give you the reason why I would never sell it. A few years ago, I acquired the Thai version of uh, the Chinese boxer, Jimmy Wang Yu's Chinese boxer. Hell
2: yeah. And...
1: Nobody else in the world seems to have it. I've, t- I've talked to all or most of the big collectors in Thailand, some of whom have collections which, you know, make mine look like nothing. And no one had ever seen it. Nobody has it. None of the other American or European collectors that I know. So I believe that is a unique piece because, A, I really love that movie. It's And, so B, good. it's one of a kind, so to speak.
2: Damn. Yeah. yeah, that movie so fucking rocks. It's the one where he basically said, fuck you, Shaw Brothers. I want to be a director. I want to innovate. Fuck you, pay me. And they were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and so he made this one last movie with them. And it's it's like the cinematography, he just does all of these things that you don't see in any previous oh that's the one
0: where he'll like fucking throw a guy through the wall and then all of a sudden the camera is filming the fight scene through the hole in the wall or there's like a
2: weird tracking shot through their practice hell yeah
0: Chinese boxer rocks
1: great it's considered to be the first actual kung fu movie as opposed to wuxia Yeah. yeah it's the first like hand to hand Kung fu movie.
0: I mean, this came up before on on an earlier episode that the reason why is because Jimmy Wang Yu was not some trained martial artist nor was he like a dancer or anything. He was a
2: street fighter. Yeah, he was a fucking... He was like a race car driver, military serving, yeah. athlete, So he just gangster. brought this like
0: raw, real energy to movies that's so unique.
2: But oh my God, you'll have to show us the Chinese boxer
0: poster.
1: I definitely will.
0: All right, all right. What else is on your list? Let's keep this uh, top five thing going. What uh, else is Top five. On so
1: yeah, so Chinese boxer. Uh, I've got the thing.
0: Hell yeah, John. The Carpenter. thing is probably
1: my probably my most coveted poster. I've had so many people ask me about the thing. There there have been photos of it on the internet for years and people ask me like, hey man, would you ever sell that thing poster? And I'm like, you know, maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't think so,
1: dude. Get in line, you know. <laughs> Everybody wants it.
0: You know, I, I think I remember seeing you post the thing poster. I can't picture it in my head. But the John Carpenter poster that I love the most is the Assault on Precinct 13 poster. Oh, that's
1: a great one, too, yeah.
0: It's so cool. Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be just making this completely up, so feel free. Uh, is there a robot in that poster for that movie? I feel like already, you posted no, it. No, no, And there was like this like robot thing in it, there or something.
1: It looks like a robot. It's, um, it's basically a silhouette of a cop. You can see his police hat. There it is. But they, wow. uh, they, they, they use police emergency lights as like the eyes.
0: Yeah, the that's what it, so is. it looks oh, like. Oh, man. A robot. I thought it was like a Cylon or something. I'm like, yo, <laughs> dude, this is sick. It's fucking an Assault, assault on and Precinct 13, 13 robot. Ba- uh,
2: Babylon 5 crossover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: that's a, that is a great one.
0: But I guess beyond the ones that are just like super rare, are there any that. That you just love, sure. Like that are like ah, so many, so many. I know.
1: I'm trying to think what else I have that I love. Oh, um, right over here on the wall, I've got a uh, Body Heat, one of my favorite movies.
2: It's very sweaty.
1: Very sweaty. It's
2: there are a lot of sweaty movies, particularly sweaty Hong Kong films. But it's one of the sweatiest American movies.
0: Yeah, I think the You're ones right. the ones that I'm most drawn to are the Hong Kong films. And that's just because usually like no offense to whoever does the Hong Kong posters, but they're like, they they don't got as much fucking swag as they, the Thai posters. They don't poster. have the razzle-dazzle. They, they don't have that it <laughs> factor, you know, that these Thai posters have. They're awesome. Like, there's not really, there's, it's so funny to like have a conversation about posters and then say like anything else other then like, whoa, that's cool because no, they are just.
2: <laughs> but I feel, so I feel the same way about Thai posters that I do about Polish and Czech posters where they're just heads above yeah. the actual Hollywood posters. Well, and it's it's the same deal where in most cases they are people who went to art school and then apprenticed with someone who maybe wasn't a movie poster but was like a fine artist and was doing this like experimental postmodernist work. Yeah, they feel yeah. very
1: yeah. like avant garde. The Polish and, and Czech ones you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. I heard a a friend of mine gave an interesting analysis of that. So these artists were living in societies which were under the iron fist, you know, and there was very little freedom, very little freedom of expression, freedom of speech. And they took, they painted the most abstract concepts for these movies you know that sometimes have very little to do with the actual movie yes they they just complete imagination
2: it's interesting to see how certain things get filtered through or not and i think in the case of polish and czech posters to your point most of them were painted during the years of the cold war when like if you are a russian artist there was so much frowning upon decadent western culture that most of those most russians like would not have had access to american films but because for a time czechoslovakia and poland and yugoslavia were like more permissive i think they were getting access to more of these movies Mm. but To your point, it's like they focus on specific elements because of these cultural differences. And I feel like the same thing must be true of Thai posters, where it's like you're not watching this, you're not necessarily watching this movie with a full understanding of the language and the culture, and you're just sort of focusing on the most exciting elements, but that's also what makes a really good poster. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's partially it. The best analysis that I've come up with for why Thai posters have their specific look has to do also with Thailand's role in the Cold War. And essentially, in the 1960s, when this style came to fruition, Thailand was still basically a rural country. Much of the country was very loosely integrated into a kind of greater national market. In other words, a lot of places were you know for better or worse they were completely self-sustaining relatively isolated
0: villages yeah like communes almost
1: not so much communes i mean in a way they were communitarian yeah they weren't there there wasn't like a commune system but they were very communitarian but they were they were not integrated into the modern capitalist market system during the 1960s however thailand began to receive a ton of aid um, development aid, military aid, mostly or almost all from the U.S., um, in order to become the bulwark against the spread of communism in Southeast Asia. Huh. And so Thailand started with these national uh, national road development plans, and they started extending roads to all over the country through remote areas which uh, had communities of people which previously had very little access um, to wider markets, and or wider society. As the roads came in, so did everything else. And rural capitalists, local business people, started getting into the film business because all of a sudden you've got roads, you can transport projectors and seats and yeah. screens, and you've created this whole new industry. So they've created this whole new industry for an audience which is rural, largely preliterate, If most people had a primary school education, that was amazing. Women, for the most part, weren't educated at all. Men or boys went to school for... They went to the temple. That was the most schooling they got for a couple of years maybe or a couple of months. So you've got this population all of a sudden coming into direct contact with movies from all over the world. And in order to promote these movies, they had to create advertisements, posters which were extremely visceral, which were extremely telling, and people could kind of read without even knowing how to read. They could yeah. see what was going on. And uh, that's how these posters got their look.
2: I do feel like you get most of the time such a good sense of what the movie is or at least what the genre is or some of the plot elements because the posters are so visual and mm-hmm. like not tied to language.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to tell what a fucking movie's about from a poster nowadays because it's just like four people's heads looking serious and like a silhouette of a city. And it's I like, this is it. fucking nothing. Like, I don't want to see this movie. This sucks.
2: But oh, wait. So going back a little bit, I had a question for you. So you mentioned that your collection is just like a drop in the bucket compared to some of the like domestic Thai collectors.
1: A few, a few.
2: And you might not have an answer for this, but it just sort of made me wonder, like, are these people who are collecting for museums? Are they collecting to sell posters? Are they collecting just for their personal enrichment and just happen to have access to posters?
1: Generally the latter.
2: Okay. Just, they just want they just posters? Yeah.
1: Uh, the one person, one of my friends in Thailand who's a has the biggest collection of Thai posters in the world. He was involved deeply and is still involved deeply in the Thai film industry. Gotcha. And uh, there was one point where he was collecting other elements of cinema-going culture, but when he, you know, got into posters, he went all out. <laughs> because of his connections uh, in the the Thai poster world, he was able to really dig deep.
2: That's amazing. It it also makes me think of. A couple months ago we went to this like movie collectors paradise museum in Connecticut called oh The Witch's Dungeon. Where it's this guy who sort of grew up in Golden Age of Hollywood, like his family was his,
0: in his dad was in the Werewolf of London. Yes. His dad was or like no, the... his uncle. His uncle his uncle's yeah, Henry Hall. Yeah, yeah. He was like yeah, the Werewolf of London.
2: But he he collected all this old all all these old movie posters, and all props, these old props, makeup replicas. And, uh, uh, like, is there, so it makes me think, is there anyone in Thailand who has any kind of like classic movie museum or anything like that?
1: Well, there is the Thai Film Archive, which is, which started out as that. Uh, the guy who founded the Thai Film Archive was a guy by the name of Dom Sukawong. And uh, Dome was, as far as I know, he was just like a lot of the other poster and old reel collectors. In Thailand, and he was just, you know, going out, scooping up whatever he could from movie theaters and uh, itinerant exhibitors, distribution houses, so on and so forth, and collecting them. And eventually he created such a big collection that he petitioned the government to, like, build him an archive. And Amazing. Now, if you see it now, it's unbelievable. He's, wow. He's got, like, a campus. It's.
2: it's That's awesome. I,
0: yeah. I I'm curious since you were saying that like it Thai posters weren't really that popular in Thailand for a long time or there wasn't really like a market for them and there weren't like a lot of collectors and then you said it's kind of been growing over time do you ever get any kind of gruff or static from people in Thailand you know because you're like you know white man outsider getting these posters anyone ever kind of like give you shit for that
1: When I first started collecting, I met a few people who were dealing at some of the various markets who would say things like, oh, yeah, I never send this stuff overseas. Never send it out of Thailand. Never, never, never. But I'll sell to you. So it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm from overseas. And at the time, I was living in Thailand. um, But, you know, I obviously shipped everything back when I moved back here. And over the years, those same people, I think they've softened at least, they've softened their stance, at least with me. I get some, a little bit of credit with them because of my work photographing old movie theaters there. And they, they know that I'm like, I'm Legit. not just there to exploit and take their treasures. At least I like to think that they <laughs> yeah. believe that I've given something back via this documentation that I've done. Um, but I did have an incident in the last few years where someone I dealt with, this, this particular person... They started saying, hey, you can't sell these, you know, you can't sell these rare posters. And I was like, I own them. Some of them you sold to me. Yeah. You sold them to me. I can do whatever I want with them. You know, it's not like fine art treasure in that sense, like stuff they're, that they're was looted from a museum. Yeah,
2: they're printed not, posters. And you're not selling the original paintings.
1: No, though. So a lot of them have been sold too. And they've sure. ended up overseas as well. But it was it was ridiculous. What, what that was was somebody becoming jealous because they had spent years selling rare Thai posters to collectors all over the world for good money, but then seeing the market jump again. Yeah. Because in the last few years, the collector's market for Thai posters has really jumped. And they're not able to get hold of these rare posters that they sold five ten years ago anymore at least not for reasonable prices and as far as i'm concerned, it was just straight jealousy and you know who you are if you're listening to this
2: i mean the same thing happens in the world of film criticism where it's like 20 or 30 years ago someone was the rare kind of paid journalist film writer who had a taste for cult movies and could get access to seeing them and get access to interview the directors and now because of the internet there's this huge market of people who want to write about these films and love them and some of the older people are definitely like well i wrote about this first and it's mine and it's like okay like on some level shouldn't you just be excited that the audience for this is growing?
1: Exactly. And and in in that regard to to, to speaking to those types of people uh in the film criticism world as well as dealers who were selling stuff kind of ahead of the curve, they helped perpetuate yeah, it. Totally. They helped build it up, you know, and They made
2: it exciting. They did. Yeah. Uh so So many of the posters that we've been talking about are Thai posters for international films, Mm -hmm. like Hollywood films or Hong Kong films is mostly what we've brought up. How often... So, like, I, I know that I've seen you post a number of amazing posters for Thai films, but how available are they?
1: The Thai movies themselves? Yeah. Yeah. It depends. A lot of them have been lost. Believe it or not, a lot of the stuff from the 80s and early 90s, Thai horror and action, a lot of that stuff has, it's just been lost. People didn't, there weren't good archives, there weren't good places to store them to begin with. Thailand's a hot and humid country. I was
2: just going to say, and it's hot.
0: Yeah, that was was my theory.
1: I, I kind of loosely investigated this Um, You know, with all the the kind of boom and these boutique Blu-ray companies that are digging up all this great content from around the world, I recently thought, huh, I've got good connections in Thailand. Maybe I should try and, you know, snoop around and see what kind of Thai stuff I can get hold of and see if maybe I can help clean it up, get it remastered and bring it to a new market. And the deeper I dug, which wasn't all that deep, but the, the inquiries I made, people were like, you're... You're you're, barking up an invisible tree. Exactly.
2: (laughs) It's funny that you say that because I, you know, do work with vinegar syndrome and recently was having a conversation with them about like dream things I would want to see released. And for me, a lot of it is Hong Kong stuff, but. I was like, oh, I wonder if there are Thai films that should be released. And Brandon was like, oh, no, I've already been down this road with Phil. They're all lost.
1: <laughs> a lot of them are lost.
2: That's so and, sad. And
1: I still have, I'm sure there's one or two or maybe more than that here or there, but in general. I've heard a few stories about how they got lost over the years. Some of them were destroyed en masse. One That's such awful. case, a Thai producer... Was storing his reels at a facility in Hong Kong because they had the facility there was none in Thailand at the time so he was sending his films to Hong Kong for storage and archiving and I guess he just stopped paying the bill so the Hong Kong archive literally dumped his entire catalog into the sea
2: no. Oh my
0: fucking god.
2: That's, that's that's like sucks. That's like worse than hearing. So I've you know we've all oh heard crazy god. stories about how there was a fire in a storage facility or some sort of like water
0: leak. That but your ruined. fucking landlord evicted your movie. Oh my god, that's awful. That's like those like Ray Bradbury stories about like the fucking Mexican graveyards where you got to pay rent on your bodies and shit. Ugh that's awful
2: that's really Horrible. depressing it's yeah. that's like even worse than all those stories about how like like so many of those like doctor who episodes that were lost and yeah and yeah, things yeah. in the 50s and 60s and but early at least 70s those, because they were taped over
0: yeah oh yeah the because bbc it, ran yeah, out of fucking it, well, it was like
2: why would we why would we preserve this like dumb genre cheap low-budget television stuff we'll just yeah. film over it this is far worse. Oh my
1: yeah, it's, god. It's,
0: yeah. It's pretty uh, pretty sinful. And like what sucks is that like all these movies that are lost are like the coolest sounding fucking movies. There are all these like crazy black magic movies and like and 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 that folklore this Krausu or Krasu. Krasu. Where Krasu. it's yeah, it's 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 the witch with the flying head. And there's so many of these movies and and I went digging. I, I I've been I've been kind of like looking for years, but like recently I really really went digging for them, and I got a list of like twenty five, and I turned up four, and it was so devastating, you know, like trying to find these movies, I felt like. I felt like one of those dogs during nine eleven, one of those fire <laughs> dogs, you know, where like they were looking for bodies and they couldn't find any bodies. That's so terrible. like the firefighter would like lay down and pretend to be like a body. Like I couldn't find shit any of the, I can find anything on these movies, but I would find titles like Ghost of liver Eater and like I don't I don't know and and they're all just gone. And I guess this makes sense that. I mean, they they aren't there. They're they're gone. Anyone who has said they've seen them saw them in theaters or something. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, do you know anything about uh, these these Krause movies or these Black Magic movies? Or
1: honestly, I don't think I've ever seen one all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces. Some of them are on YouTube from you know some weird. VCD,
0: yeah, taped to have you know VHS moved over to exactly. this, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Some of them exist at that level. Beyond that, I've never gone down that rabbit hole oh. as much as I love the posters for these movies. The posters are,
2: yeah, they're amazing. awesome. It's hard, uh, It's it's like hard to believe some of the posters that you share. Part of me, and this is terrible to say, part of me is a little bit happy that the films are lost because I just get to have this yeah, like you get to great, the whole crazy thing in your film head. in my imagination. And I'm sure that they can't all be like chock full of ladies with heads and dangling yeah, intestines.
0: So- so what the, the Krausu or Krasu, sorry, I keep saying Kraussu because I'm, I'm from New Jersey. It's a regional dialect. <laughs> uh, these these Krasu films, it's basically this folklore of a young girl goes into the forest and kind of like either makes some sort of deal with some spirits, or she's getting into some bad stuff, like she's having premarital sex. Or she gets cursed. Yeah, or she gets cursed, something like that. Even considering premarital sex, I imagine, is enough to... Have your head leave your I don't body. Know.
1: Is that... I don't know about the consideration. I don't know about...
0: Uh, yeah, I think maybe you're allowed to think bad thoughts. I don't fucking know. What do I know? Honestly, everything I know about Thailand and, like, Black Magic movies...
2: Comes from Hong Kong. Comes from Hong Kong.
0: <laughs> like, all these Hong Kong movies were, like, four fucking, like, you know, city-slicking dickweeds go to Thailand to, like... I don't know, get in some trouble and, like, you know...
2: But but the great thing about the Hong Kong Black Magic movies, the, the racism aside, is they're not like those kind of conservative Christian horror movies where young women can't even think about premarital sex. It's like a lady is like, oh, I really want to fuck this guy but he's concerned with his fiance. so hey, yeah 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 Lole, can you cast a spell That's the, those are the black magic <laughs> movies right the the yeah. shaw
0: brothers flicks but, but it's like
2: yeah. it's like women and men are hiring the indonesian or thai magician yeah to, yeah to cast a, a great spell. one
0: is uh what's that one from like the mid-90s where uh, Elvis Choi or Elvis Sweet, his like head. Elvis turns Choi. Elvis uh, Choi turns uh, into a dick. It's
2: Eternal Evils of Asia. Mm. It's so uh. good. It's perfect.
0: It's uh, it almost feels kind of like, uh, like the American film The Hangover, where like you know four dudes go to but, Thailand. Like, the
2: hangover? Meet the f- and- meets meet the feebles or something. That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> a great description. I've never seen it. I. It's it's. I gotta re- see it. Oh man, it's a it's a good one. But uh, but back to these these Krasu movies, which I'm like just really, really fascinated by. And I think part of the reason that I'm so fascinated is because I can't watch them, you know? That there's this stack of movies that are out there that I like, or that may not be out there, that are in the fucking sea. They're in the South China Sea right now, you know? They're fucking gone. and whale oh, shark that ate draws them. draws me to them. And I got this little list. It's kind of fun. I kind of want to go through it. It's it's these five Krasu movies that like, Either I have seen them or I really want to fucking see them bad. Uh, the first one is is Ghosts of Gutseater from 1973. This is a Thai film. And apparently... What a title. <laughs> what I hear about this one, I think this one is just floating around out there. And from what I understand, the Bernard Herrmann score from Vertigo is just, like, bumping the whole time, you know? So you have this, like, image of this disembodied head. Wow with a spinal cord hanging below the head. I mean, that's what the Krasu demon is. I don't know if I, well, I fully not, explained so it. So
2: not a, not a spinal cord, but the organs.
0: Yes, in different regions. Like in Cambodia, it's a spinal cord. Oh. So it's, it's, it's different wherever you go.
2: Amazing.
0: But yeah, it's like, a, basically it's a flying head with organs and entrails underneath of it, like flying around. And then later at the end of the night, kind of like the uh, the werewolf turning back into the man, it, it reattaches itself. To you know, Which is super, the young lady,
2: super disturbing. To, yes. to try to actually picture happening. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and
0: picture that happening with the uh, vertigo theme going on. You know, Bernard Herman. Gotta see ghosts of Gus Eater.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was the first big one. I believe. Yeah, I
0: mean that's early seventies. Yep. you know it, it has to be. And then uh, from 1985, you have the wonderfully titled Filth Eating Spirit. I can't find this with subtitles <laughs> anywhere. Uh, is this Thai? I don't think so. I or actually, I don't know is the answer. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know where it's from.
2: I uh, know some of them are Indonesian for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. But the thing is about Filth Eating Spirit is that <laughs> I, I did later track down the the 1990 sequel Filth Eating Spirit Bites Ogre. <laughs> And I found that with subtitles, but I'm afraid to watch it without the proper context of the original filth-eating spirit.
2: So what we need to do is we need to get a copy of it and have Phil do one of those sort of tie. Oh, the movie commentator, theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, so we'll sit on the
0: couch and you'll be behind the couch. I
2: mean,
1: I'd love to do that, but that is an art that I have not mastered.
2: <laughs> it's just because you haven't had enough practice.
1: <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so.
0: And we'll get you all the way to Carnegie Hall. Talking about the what is it? The filth-eating spirit. Filth-eating spirit. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. That's,
1: that when when you. When you added the the the, uh, the full name of part two, that is a Thai movie.
0: Filthy eating spirit bites ogre. Okay, yeah. so then the first one's Thai too.
1: That's like a direct translation. Of that makes of sense. The movie.
0: And this other one, this is number three on my list of five, is my mother is arb. AKA Krausu or Krasu Mom. Gotta stop saying fucking Krausu. Krasu mom. Krasu Mom. And now this is a 1980 film from Cambodia, which is I think really notable and totally worth remark because it was the first film produced and released in Cambodia after the fall of like Pol Pot's Khmer brutal Rouge. Khmer Rouge. Yeah. And I mean, naturally, this, you know, flying head entrails folklore movie was a huge hit. Movies like that, movies that dealt with folklore and cultural things, were super fucking banned during, you know, that well, whole time. I mean, I imagine a lot of fucking movies were banned.
2: Yeah, but it's it's sort of a similar thing. Like, you could talk about Nazi Germany and how they weren't really into fantasy or horror films. And even in China...
0: Yeah, right now. now you can't have fucking ghosts in your movies and shit. And, they, they, but they it's,
2: it's been like that for decades. Yeah, a,
0: and they not quite decades, but
2: it's been like that for well, quite holy shit. quite I guess, a while. Twenty
0: twenty three, for but, decades. We're yeah. old now. Yeah, we are. But shit. okay,
2: Crassu, mom. This yeah. is probably uh, not what the actual movie is like, but in my head, you're I doing serial, mom. No, I don't know if I better. I don't know. Well, not better, but I don't know if either of you have seen. Uh, my stepmom is an alien.
1: Not in a long time.
2: Well, I'm imagining that it's it's like this kids Disney movie where like your mom just happens to be a Krassu, but that's, you still love her anyway. Yo, okay,
0: so <laughs> the poster art—that's what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. I can't find this fucking movie anywhere. It's it, it's it's gone. I, I want to see it so bad.
2: It's important to have
0: goals. I know. I know. All right. So number four on my list is. The wonderfully titled Hong Kong film from 1982, the classic Witch with the Flying Head. And this was a Hong Kong Taiwanese co-production, from what I understand. And I have a copy of it.
2: Yeah, I've seen clips from it, and they look insane.
0: It looks awesome. Everyone that I know that has seen it, it says it's like, yeah, it fucking rocks. The only version that's out there is, like we were saying earlier, It was like, a VCD transfer, or like a, a VHS transferred to VCD, uploaded into like a half a gig file, and I've just been sitting on it because I feel like because it's a Hong Kong movie that there might be a print somewhere. That there might be like I'm just waiting, you know. I, I I won't die without watching it, but like hopefully.
2: Well, this is like me holding out hope for Lewd Lizard. Which oh, do you
0: know about Lewd Lizard?
2: Just from you guys. I mean,
1: I've seen the title here and there, but I don't.
0: Oh, man. But it's the same. I want to see Lewd Lizard so bad.
2: It's like, <laughs> it's it's one of those like category three adjacent movies about this total creep. Who, well, it's
0: old. It's like from like
2: 79, 80 yeah, or 81 yeah. so, or something. But I think it was like maybe retroactively included. Yeah,
0: it's on a lot of cat three lists.
2: But it's like. This guy is a total. This like in, lonely incel guy is a total creep. And he's
0: not an incel. He's just stealing women's panties. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but stealing women's panties with the aid of genetically engineered lizards.
0: Well, there's some. I think there's. <laughs> From what I understand. Yeah, I think there might be sex lizards. I don't really know how well, it works. Re-
2: genetically engineered sex lizards. But you can find this film on YouTube with those like awful teeny tiny white subtitles mm. that are like at the bottom yeah. and sometimes they drop off. Right. Yeah. Like with Pituitary Hunter. But so, it's like I just want to see a clean. I actually
0: I, I recently re-downloaded Witch with the Flying Head and someone did these custom fan subs that are really nice, but like It's just this, like, full screen. It looks really bad. I don't know. I'm going to watch it at some point because I also do find a lot of charm in watching those movies like that because they're, like, they're dirty fucking movies, and it's kind of nice to, like, I don't know, have a little little extra scuzz. It brings a little extra scuzz to them. That's kind of nice. Well, they remind
2: me of late 70s, early 80s shot-on video gore movies where they just... It's like they're made with so much love, like Mystics in Bali.
0: Yeah, that's okay. So that's number five on my, my little Krausu list, which is, you know, by far the most readily available and popular. Did I say Krausu again? I'm sorry, guys. You know, I'm...
2: Sour Krausu.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thai sorry. people
1: would never understand you.
2: That's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry to any of our Thai listeners. I'm kidding. Mystics in Bali, it is probably the fucking Krausu goat.
2: Thanks to Mondo Macabro. This D yeah, it. We, we
0: watched it earlier today. I, I'd seen it years ago. It is so fucking cool. Like the first half is the evil dead, and then halfway through, it just turns into the thing. I mean, if you ever wondered what it was like to see a disembodied flying head with entrails hanging underneath of of it of a
2: German tourist.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, sucking an unborn fetus out of a woman's pussy. This is the movie for you. Have we got the film? (laughs) Sold.
2: It's so good. But the best part is that there's side character, this this uh, Indonesian lady who they introduce as being like the cast aside love interest and she saves the day. Yeah. So it's not like the white German tourist lady saves the yeah, day. Yeah, she, yeah. she gets hers at the There's end. There's a lot of
0: human pathos in Mystics in Bali for sure. Beyond the uh, pussy sucking headless demon ghosts baby eating thing. <laughs> According to the information we've got it seems that this thing was a flying head. But the funny thing was, this flying head
1: had light-coloured hair. The Lyak so far only seems interested in newborn babies for their blood, according to relatives of the dead. This is very serious.
0: Please excuse me. But what's crazy is that And and beyond just these movies that I'm like super hyped about that I want to find, they're still coming out. Like there are modern movies about this folklore. So it obviously has such strong cultural purchase to this day.
2: Yeah, weren't we reading that because the local population was so superstitious, they had to make Mystics in Bali somewhere else? so that they didn't offend anyone yeah
0: that they, they moved the production from bali to java because like bali was a super devout buddhist you know little island and they didn't want fucking don't bring
2: your curses here yeah
0: don't even fucking play around with that shit
2: yeah what so okay so i know that you were going around looking at abandoned theaters and documenting them and photographing them i don't even think we mentioned his book
0: yeah you published a book of these theaters
1: that's right i sure did well i didn't publish it River Books did in 2019, and as far as I know, it is sold out now, at least in Thailand. I think there might be, ver- there might be copies floating around the net. Um, it's called Thailand's Movie Theaters, Relics, Ruins, and the Romance of Escape, and it is just basically a best of my 10 or so years traveling around Thailand, documenting old movie theaters and collecting stories and little artifacts like posters and tickets and... Uh, You know, glass slide advertisements, things like
0: that. Yeah, you were showing me a ticket recently. Oh, they're so beautiful. These movie tickets, like these things that over here, we just like rip them in half and say, yeah, seat 12. Get the fuck out of my face, kid. Or they're
2: just on your phone.
0: But these tickets are so ornate, and some of them are like unique to the films that are being shown.
1: That's right. For whatever reason, Thailand printed beautiful movie theater tickets in the 60s and early 70s. My theory is that movie theaters were such um, prestigious places and important places, so to have a ticket to your movie theater was basically like having... It was like the, the theater was issuing its own currency. Yeah. And so some of these tickets look like currency, and they actually have engravings of the actual theater architecture on the ticket. Yeah, they're they're Which pretty cool. Which is so amazing. Yeah, yeah it's, they're, it's, they're really precious things.
0: Yeah, I mean, just taking... Care, I mean, into every aspect of, like, a movie. And, like, after a movie's made, like, going to see it, taking care into that whole thing is so fucking, like, important, I think. I remember when I was a kid, I I went to this theater in the middle of Pennsylvania. I think I was visiting family. It was over Christmas. We were seeing, like, Jumanji or something, some bullshit. But it was, like, one of those tiny little one theater theaters. And... I went to the bathroom and they had fucking they had speakers in the bathroom playing the movie. Mm, That's incredible. So like I'm in there and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not missing anything. Like it was just like this little thing that I was like, this is amazing. But but
2: I feel like with the Thai posters and definitely with these tickets, it's like when you treat something like it's a special experience. Like now, if you go to the orchestra or the opera or the ballet, there's so much more of an emphasis put on the fact that it's a cultural experience and like maybe you get a little booklet to take with you or a yeah. nice ticket and you're supposed to dress up. It's like, that's what the movies used to be well, like.
0: I think that that 100 is years ago. That yeah. is because going to the opera and going to the ballet and, and plays and things like that. Those are, are, it's a one of a kind thing. Like sure. They'll be doing the show for like the next three weeks. But the, what or you're getting for is... for
2: years, like, yes. certain productions.
0: But the fact that, like, there is a point where it will end or they'll replace a cast member or something, that you're getting a one-of-a-kind experience. And movies used to be like that because the, the, there weren't VHS tapes, there weren't DVDs, there weren't Blu-rays. Were the, so seeing it in a the theater, and because there's only, like, you know, like a, a movie like fucking Filth-Eating Spirit, they probably only had, <laughs> w- like, one print of that that was just going around, maybe two, but it was one print, and it was in this theater in this town for a week, and if you didn't see it, you didn't see it. So going to see it was this unique thing, and it was important to have these elaborate tickets, but like now, I mean, why would they print out some elaborate ticket for, you know, cocaine bear? Like, no one gives a shit. It's gonna gonna be on a streaming platform in two weeks, you know, and, you know, movies have lost their, their sacred essence over the years because they're easily available, which to me, like it's a double edged sword because I want to see them anytime I want to see them. It, it's, it's, I like,
2: well, as a, as a writer and a film historian, it makes my job
0: so much yeah, easier. I mean, yeah. He, hearing stories from like old film historians who had to like, you know, literally like walk 10 miles in the snow to go to the library to like play the eight millimeter reels or whatever. No
2: shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: but this is like, that's what they sound like when, when they're telling how they would have to track these prints down because.
2: But, but it's still frustrating. Like in terms of Thai movies, I feel like there's still not a lot out there that you can see. Like, A couple months ago, I saw a screening of Tropical Malady, which I had never seen before. But, like, the Philadelphia Film Society basically just, like, screened a shitty-looking DVD. And so it's like, I'm getting to see this Thai movie that I've been dying to see in a theater. Like, how often does that happen? And, like, they don't even have the decency to get a a nice-looking print. Mm. So it just... It really is a double-edged sword. Yeah. It's like I would have been better off finding some kind of like Thai Blu-ray to download at home <laughs> than seeing this like fuzzy, <laughs> yeah. wow, blown that's, out print. It's amazing. But it it's also just crazy to me that like at a time when so many films are accessible, there's so much East Asian cinema that's difficult to get if you only speak English. Mm-hmm. Or even if you don't.
1: Or even if you don't. Yeah, a lot of it's just not available in a lot, of, uh, a lot of these countries. I mean, depending on what happened politically or with wars, you know, in certain countries things were destroyed. Cambodia had a thriving film industry in the late 60s, early 70s, and that was all lost completely. Thailand's lost a lot of its movies. Vietnam, who knows what was going on. I mean, someone does, but yeah, uh, I know a lot's been lost. Well, there's still an awful lot of mystery in Bali, you know. I also find it hard to believe sometimes.
0: And that's why, Hendra, I'm so interested in this liac magic. I want to find out all the secrets of this unusual branch of black magic. And the only possible way to do
1: that would be to learn it myself. The same way I learned Voodoo, the black magic of Africa. It's going to be a fascinating book when it's finished.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it will. All right. Well, I guess one thing I kind of wanted to say, sort of close out the show towards the, uh, the end here. Is that there's something that me and Sam are are always asked by like you know friends and and people that we talk to online when we're posting like about some obscure movie that we just watched or that we heard of we want to watch and people always ask us uh, how did you hear about this like where did you come across this shit I didn't even fucking know that there was a whole genre of flying head witch movies out there but.
2: Of course there is. Lo and behold. The world is better than you think sometimes.
0: And usually my answer is, you know, just like talking to weirdos or, or like perusing the dark web or something <laughs> like that. You know, like that, that's where, you know, I usually find my stuff. But more and more recently when someone asked me a question about like, oh, how'd you find this? I say, tie Poster Bliss. Oh, wow. Well. I found writing wrongs. Writing wrongs was the biggest one that like that was that was a blind spot. That's like a a real movie.
2: Sure. But but but
0: like for sure, like I I didn't hear about it until you posted a poster for it. And I was like, Yeah, what even is this? And you're like, you haven't seen this masterpiece. And so, like, more often than not now, when people ask me, like, how'd you find about that? I have to direct them to you because you are always posting the most obscure stuff. And it's crazy that all of this stuff, like screened in thailand's like so much and and sometimes you'll post something that you don't even fucking know what it is a lot of times i don't know what the hell it is recently you posted a uh, i think it was like a a war film or or something that looked like a right right. like an eastern european war flick and and we hit up matt kowalski and he was like Sorry, brother, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, he didn't even know.
1: He got me on the right path, and I think I know where you're going with this. In the late 70s, early 80s, Thailand had—I I don't know this for a fact, but as, as you just confirmed, and from what I've experienced talking to people in Thailand and digging through you know, Thai poster archives and collecting, is that in the late 70s and early 80s, Thailand had the most diverse screening fair in the world— and that's for a number of reasons. The main reason is, during the Cold War, Thailand was part of the U.S. sphere of influence in Southeast Asia. And obviously there was then these trading connections between all the world that the U.S. dealt with and that Thailand dealt with, which was basically the same. But they also had distributors and producers and theater owners and people with money who were interested in showing films who had connections in communist China. And so there was, there was a drip of films from communist China that were not available in most of the world, but they were in Thailand and maybe in Singapore because there's a big Chinese population there as well. So you have that connection. You have a large Indian population. So you have movies from India. You have... Southeast Asian cinemas, which like the Grisou movies that you were talking about, they have the same folklores or similar folklores yeah. and yeah, similar ghosts. there's so ghosts. much
2: overlap. It's amazing. It,
1: so they would take these these films and they would they would circulate around the region because they were you know they would be familiar to local audiences. So you've got that. But then the bi- a big thing happened in I think it was 1977. Basically, the Thai, I want to say, Ministry of Trade or Ministry of Commerce, they raised the tariff on Hollywood imports by some huge amount. If it wasn't 300%, then it was 3,000%.
0: Was this to, like, spurn on more Thai productions to be screened? Partially.
1: um, I think it was also partially just bad policy (laughs) on their part, because what ended up happening... Thailand did produce more films, but what really happened was theater owners all of a sudden had a huge hole to fill because Hollywood was still very popular in Thailand. So they had to fill, especially for the Western market, or or I should say people who were interested in Western films, they had to fill this this. This hole with cinemas from other parts of the world. So this is when you start getting Polizio Tecs and all kinds of Italian genre cinema That's going crazy. into Thailand. They were introduced to Alain Delon and Jean Paul Belmondo and all the French stars and other cinemas from around the world start filling that void. And it was I think it was five years that there isn't a affi- uh, so yeah I I forgot an element of this. They raised the tariff on the import of Thai of of Hollywood films so the Motion Picture Association of America boycotted the time market. They stopped sending movies, so that's why they had to.
2: That's so yeah. juvenile. It's like you broke up with me. Yep. Well, I broke up with you first. Yep. And guess I'm what? I'm gonna block you on Instagram.
1: And they were still screening it because they were bringing in smuggled copies <laughs> from <laughs> of Malaysia. Course.
2: This is a. This is <laughs> Don't definitely.
0: Worry. You guys are still gonna get Death Wish Two. Everything's fucking fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they were resurrecting where they were re-releasing prints of movies from the 50s and 60s that were sitting around in warehouses. That's why you see in the 70s and 80s, you see um, posters for re-releases of all kinds of films. And that was, uh, again, that was part of it.
2: That's incredible. It's
0: so cool. It's so cool. It's
2: great what happens when you block U.S. <laughs> capitalism for a little while. <laughs>
0: Let's get these fucking Americans out of here. I mean... Except for you guys. You guys are cool. All right, Mr. Jablon, you got anything you want to you want to plug any uh any projects you're working on or As far as I know,
1: my second publication will be coming out in um in May, which is really right around the corner. Uh, it's a co-authored book between me and a collector from the UK named Neil Pettigrew, who is definitely the first foreigner, at least that I'm aware of, who was seeking out Thai posters. Um, really, really digging deep in Thailand to amass a collection of Thai posters. And this was starting in the late 1990s, I believe. And he was uh, one of the people who really exposed Westerners and people from all over the world, really, to, uh, to Thai posters. He was the first one. Uh, and we've teamed up and we've written this, we've co-authored this book. It's, uh, I believe the working title is, gonna, is called The Amazing Movie Posters of Thailand. And it's it features images. I think it's something like 400 movie posters uh, from both of our collections, as well as some history of Thai movie posters and commentary on the art and you know the entire industry. So that's the exciting thing, and I'm looking forward to to that coming out.
0: So Me too. Exciting. I'm fucking hyped. I can't wait to get that book because I there are times. Where I just like need to look at a time movie poster that you posted like a few months ago because it's in my head. It's like stuck in my head like a song or like, you know, a, a phrase that just keeps repeating in your head. This like poster keeps flashing and I need to look at it and I can't find it, you know, so.
2: Is, is Krasu Mom in there? <laughs> uh, an arc. I don't know what that is.
1: I don't know what the name of that is in, in Thai. I've never actually heard of that film, but it may be because we do have a Kasu section. In fact, we have a whole section on on Thai ghosts and
0: spirits.
2: Amazing. So wow.
0: You'll yeah. get to see all that I stuff. I'm so excited. I'm so hyped. Me too. What about you, Sam? What do you what do you gotta promote this week?
2: Well, on a note, going back to you talking about how high audiences got introduced to Alain Delon and Jean-Paul Belmondo the biggest thing I think I've done recently that I can talk about is March was French cinema month on the projection booth and I guess hosted on a bunch of episodes because I can't stop talking about French films
0: yeah and I can't start watching them so
2: <laughs> Well at least I have Mike White to talk
0: yeah.
1: about. Is that because you don't like them or yes. No. Well, He's a
0: stick yeah. in the mud. I don't really? I don't mind them. So I, yeah. I, I like French movies. I don't like French New Wave. Okay. So like I mean I can get down with like those like bank heist movies where they all wear the big fucking coats. Love that shit.
1: Doesn't that some of that fall within the New Wave movement though? It does. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I'm talking we need about to see like
2: more.
1: there's good stuff out
0: there. I saw Breathless, I didn't like that. That shit, uh, never
1: write off a whole genre because of one one bad experience. Yeah, or two well, bad experiences. But
2: here's the thing. I made him watch Weekend, and he has never recovered.
0: This is, this is what I say. I say this is what you want to do. You want to write off a whole genre from one bad experience. So that way, you spend the next 20 years not watching any of those movies. And then your brain, like, you know, either finishes forming or gets hit in the right way, you know, by a projectile. That then when you return to the genre, you're like, oh shit, look at this. I got this whole
2: but what thing if here. What if your liver gets eaten by a filthy, crass demon spirit <laughs> before you have a chance to see Le Samurai or any of the... Just he hasn't things. seen Le Samurai?
1: I have not.
0: No. Oh man. Is that one good?
1: That's great. Have you seen uh, Un Flick?
2: No. Nope. Which I think oh. is
1: also called... Dirty money
2: dirty money or if you dirty cop or something like yeah, that Yeah
1: that's that's a great movie and that's I it, guess it's a commentary that's on new wave it?
2: Mel- Melville is sort of the godfather to the new wave but he's not traditionally considered to be part of the new wave.